Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 428. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. On today's episode, we are going to finally complete our chapter-by-chapter series for Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Back in 2006, we started this, and for some reason, we never finished it. We got through every chapter except for the final chapter, and here we are, 13 years later, we're finally taking care of it. (laughs) This is like the MuggleCast epilogue 13 years later. Yeah, it really is. And what's also interesting, and Micah pointed this out when we, when we were recording episode 427, when we were doing the Sorcerer's Stone chapter by chapter back in 2006, Deathly Hallows wasn't released yet. So we had this great discussion last week about how book one connects to book seven. We now have all this extra information. So this chapter by chapter that we are going to do today is going to be very different than the one we did, the, the, the series we were doing back in 2006. Not only because deathly hollows is now out (laughs) but because we're also 13 years older we have different perspectives on the harry potter series uh we've we've grown up a lot but we're still muggle casting so we'll complete that today what a week it's been right guys since our last episode recording oh it's been great i've gotten coffee (laughs) went to the bathroom same here and looked at a picture of kevin steck's dog Oh, Bell. We are recording this right after episode 427. Back-to-back recordings for us mm-hmm. this morning. And there's a reason for that, right, Andrew? Laura's going on vacation. Uh, is, that, yep. is that the reason? Scheduling conflicts. Well, so are we. <laughs> are we? Well, yeah. it's, it's a Next business week. trip. It's a business yeah. trip slash vacation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next week, it's important to remind everybody we will be in Orlando, Florida. There is a uh, survey on the website. If you can come and join us, we're looking to do a meetup. On Thursday night, the 15th of August, and uh, we hope to see you guys there. But I guess it's important just to mention that next week's episode, 429, will come a little later in the week. We're not sure exactly what we're going to do for it, but Andrew, Micah, and myself will be in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter riding Hagrid's motorbike adventure. Good you stuff. left out a few words, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, you don't, don't want to see the uh, magical creatures, apparently. <laughs> well, you also forgot to like gasp and take that huge intake of breath before you spat out the whole name. Hagrid's magical creatures motorbike adventure. <laughs> there, there we go. Right. Nice. Okay. Got it right. All right. Well, we should let people know too that we will be in Orlando for Podcast Movement, which is a podcast convention down there. Not sure if any of our listeners also do podcasting i'm guessing maybe a few do or if they're going to be down there let us know yeah yeah but it's a great opportunity to you know we're i think we're going to learn a lot about how to podcast after <laughs> this is episode yeah, we should we should finally learn something <laughs> <laughs> it'll be great to be with other people in the industry and i think we will learn some things that's why i want to go yeah I ab- absolutely so actually 
a few weeks after podcast movement, there's going to be a Harry Potter event in Indianapolis. Wizards Unite is having their first real world gathering, their first big official event. Niantic, who created the game, has done this multiple times with Pokemon Go. They are wasting no time launching one of these for Wizards Unite. It's going to be in Indianapolis. Tickets are now on sale. You have to enter a raffle within the app for the chance to be able to buy tickets. By the time this episode airs, they might not be selling tickets anymore. But I wanted to let everybody know that I did get a ticket for Saturday. Um, you can only So the event is Saturday and Sunday, but you can only get a ticket for one day. I chose Saturday. If you're going to go, keep an eye out on our social media channels. I'm going to have some sort of meetup with everybody, with all of our listeners who attend, and we will all stare at our screens together. Make sure you bring a backup battery, because I have a feeling our phones are going to drain very quickly playing this game all day. How is your uh, overall Wizard Unite experience going? Mine is uh, it's pretty good. I, I'm, I'm still playing. I'm still playing. Same. Yeah. I, I like it. I'm having fun. I'm uh I really like these limited time events that they do cuz you can collect extra things and there's they they put more stuff out on the map it seems and there's extra challenges to complete. Mm-hmm. So it's fun. What level are you at? 16. Okay. I'm still level 8. I will say um something I didn't realize and something that I find kind of annoying about the gameplay is that sometimes in order to level up you have to remember to like open up like the daily assignments and actually yeah. collect rewards and to me it's like if i've met the requirements just give it to me don't make me yeah. have to remember to go in and collect it because so, i had a whole bunch that i just hadn't collected because i didn't know so i went in and collected all of it and then leveled up like twice <laughs> but isn't it satisfying to cl- to click that big collect button i think that's why they make you do it because you kind of feel good pressing it i know i do i mean i'd feel good if it was a pleasant surprise (laughs) here have all this have all this xp (laughs) and i like the daily rewards just for opening up the app like this morning because we're at the end of july all the big stuff is at the end of the month if you've been opening it up every day i got a thousand xp just for loading up the app this morning what there you yeah, go. Yeah, baby. That was nuts. And I am convinced that somebody who works on this game listens to the podcast because, as you mentioned on, I think it was either last week or the week before, Laura's suggestion to add the spell count to the home screen. But then I also saw recently that they added the suggestion that we had about going into battle and having a limited number of spells. I saw yesterday, it told me, you only have five spells. Are you sure you want to enter that? <gasps> and then you're like, no, I'm going to cast Protego like four times and it won't be effective. And then I'm going to lose and die. <laughs> you got to create those potions to regain your health. Oh, in battle. So Laura, I'm just saying if by next week we see a feature added that you can just click a button in settings to automatically collect your <laughs> yeah. winnings. No, I'm, I don't want that. You know what? Like I... I'm totally open to Niantic like taking our feedback into account, but I would appreciate like a royalty check or something. Oh, because uh, that's too much. <laughs> or just level you I, up, right? Bump you up yeah. to like, level 50. <laughs> Cheat. Just know, just take comfort in knowing, this is what I would do, take comfort in knowing that we, our feedback as Harry Potter fans is benefiting all Harry Potter fans in general with a better gameplay experience. All right, I'm about to hit collect for dining at an inn two times today, and it's going to feel so good. You ready? Here I go. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. How much does good. your in give you? Is it three, five? Uh, well, it varies, of course. It mm. seems to be random. Sometimes three, sometimes five. I've seen sometimes like seven. Not the, the in by where I work is crappy. I always get three. Same. Oh, you got to move somewhere else. <laughs> and actually, my in by work disappeared the other day. Has this ever happened to anybody? No. What? Like what? I loaded it up, and and the in just wasn't there anymore. And I was like, "What the hell?" In shutter and close. It's this economy, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> Not enough people you know are getting spell energy. <laughs> when something rare shows up and you get so excited and then it departs. Oh, I hate that so much. Oh, Me too. Like you the cast worst. you cast one failed spell and then it's like the confoundable has departed. You don't even get a second crack at it. Like right. come on. Yeah. Also, I want to know how when I cast a masterful spell, how it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Has that that should be a guaranteed you know, it should work. Like the master ball in Pokemon. Exactly. Right. You can't break out of it. Yeah. But now in theory, a masterful spell has a higher chance of working. That that must be how it works. But yeah, it should be like nearly guaranteed. Right, right. I, f- I feel like I've been casting more masterful spells. I think I've definitely improved my swiping on the screen. Mm-hmm. So I will say something that annoys me is like I'll cast a spell and the spell will maybe be like, it'll be great, right? And it won't work. And then the following spell I'll do will be like a fair spell and that one will work. And I'm like, what the F? Yeah. Like, come on, guys. Is it that I weakened it with my... They just want you to use your spells up. That's <laughs> that's what it is. They were like, they were spells. like, you wanted this spell counter? We'll watch your spells disappear, Laura. <laughs> yeah. And the, the one thing I'll say that I really have benefited from is that the there's no fortress that's close to where I live. So... I've actually been walking down to the boardwalk here. I live hmm. very close to to the beach and there's a boardwalk down there and there's a fortress on the boardwalk and I've just gone there and just battled and it's it's I'm saying it's good to get you out of the house and yeah, walk a little bit. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's my situation. I've got a fortress down at the end of the street, and I kind of have a routine now. When I walk Brooklyn, I I stand and and battle at the fortress, and then I can collect that little bonus. But are you very self conscious though? Like when when I I'm because people obviously are walking past me all the time on the boardwalk. Yeah, you know, a lot of people use it, and I'm just wondering: Are they thinking what's this weirdo doing? That's just sitting on this bench playing this game. You know, and I mean, at least in my area, it's been. It's pretty common because people play Pokemon Go, too. In fact, when I was walking Brooklyn a few days ago, two people were sitting on a bench and they they brought up the blast-ended Scroot out loud. They were like, oh, that's the blast-ended Scroot. I was like, oh, well, I know what they're playing. <laughs> All right, hold on. I need, I'm going to get one more high before we move on. I'm about to collect the bonus for returning 10 foundables. Here we go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just got a potion. Oh, that felt so good. And coming up next on MogoCast, our unhealthy relationship with our phones and technology. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So time now for MogoCast TBT. This is a Cursed Child prediction. This was from June 3rd, 2016, episode 293, when some new photos were released of the cast in their roles. Let's talk mm-hmm. about Harry, actually. In this group photo, once again... He's kind of in the dark compared to the to compared to Albus and Ginny. It's a metaphor. I think it is a metaphor. <laughs> I really think so. He, oh, do you notice this is how he creepy. looks? I'm just seeing the photo now. That's really <laughs> <Right>? creepy. Wow. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Go on. Does anyone else think it's it's a metaphor? It's it hints at 
that Harry may be the one who's more disturbed or more, I don't know, uh, battling some serious demons more than Albus. Could be. I, I mean, they're both going to. Yeah. But he's battling them in the background, whereas Albus has to uh, battle them in, in the, the foreground. foreground. Love mm-hmm. it. Okay. Okay. Into that. Into that. So, yeah, we didn't know anything about the Cursed Child plot at that point, And we were kind of just speculating. But that ended up being correct. Little did y'all know that that picture was taken shortly after Harry gave Albus a moldy old baby blanket. And Albus was like, what the F is this? <laughs> That's why he's not smiling in the photo. Yeah. <laughs> And that was Selena who was there with us. And I don't know who that other girl is. I don't recognize. I'm embarrassed to say. I have to look up, look at it in the show notes. It was Brittany. Brittany Lovely. Oh, for, Brittany, who for... writes for Hypable. I'm sorry, yeah. Brittany. Yeah. All right. Time now for chapter by chapter. We are going to do chapter 17 of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Like I said, our last chapter by chapter for Sorcerer's Stone was June 4th, 2006. It was episode 42. And um, we don't know why we never did the final chapter of Sorcerer's Stone for chapter by chapter. We may have just forgot. Yeah, no idea why we didn't do it. But uh, it's kind of thrilling to finally be reaching this chapter. And I need to say by the quantity of the notes we took that it's I don't know that we would have done this episode, uh, this chapter justice if we did it 13 years ago. So it's just as well. I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to put our new chapter by chapter spin on this one. We'll start with the seven word summary. All right. Quirrell. Surprises. Harry. With. Voldemort's. (laughs) Head. (laughs) Oh, great. One, one, one word left. Um, Attached. Okay, that works. Okay, there we go. I wanted to do like half head or gross head or I don't know. Yeah. Coral supplies his Harry with Voldemort's head attached. Yeah, I like it. I think it's great. So Laura, will you take us through this chapter? Yeah, so we kind of touched on the transition from chapter 16 to chapter 17 a couple weeks ago, um, where there's that just like beautiful cliffhanger at the end of chapter 16, where it says it wasn't Snape, it wasn't even Voldemort. And then you turn the page and it says it was Quirrell. And that's like the ultimate like dun, dun, dun moment. Like I remember reading that as a child and being like, holy crap. Oh my gosh, mom, it was Quirrell. (laughs) But what I love about this and what I think is so interesting about it is we see a big shift in Quirrell's character at this point. He very quickly assumes a tone that is out of character for him, and he sounds like Voldemort. Um, So when Harry communicates that he had suspected that he would be meeting Snape here, Quirrell says, Severus? Yes, Severus does seem the type, doesn't he? So useful to have him swooping around like an overgrown bat. And and that's almost a level of like meta awareness in the books. It is kind of useful for all of the villains in these books that Snape is such an obvious choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. And and it sparked, I think, not a few uh, Snape is a vampire theories as well. Oh, yes. I remember all of the Snape is a vampire to have theories. Your, uh, yeah. Well, they're probably fan fiction, too, of that uh, where he was revealed to be. Probably. But uh, but yeah, like having his own colleagues kind of suspect him. And this is what 
Quirrell is talking about with Harry in this chapter is how all the other colleagues assume that Snape is in it for himself, that he wants Gryffindor to lose at Quidditch. All this other stuff really works in Quirrell's favor. And so Quirrell was able to successfully even dupe Dumbledore uh, for the most part um, the entire school year. Yeah. This reveal also sets into motion the defense against the dark arts teacher Mm-hmm. issue that we run into throughout the course of the series and so he's sort of the first casualty but is this his first year teaching defense against the dark arts though i think it is defense against the dark arts the hp wikia has it listed that he was the muggle studies teacher who this year became the defense against the dark arts teacher but that source is not cited so but the curse uh, had been in place for a while. Yeah, but for Defense Against the Dark Arts position, there had been several teachers before Quirrell. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like once it's like Snape. Once he became the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, he had one year in that role. Right. And then left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then I always interpreted this because Eric, you have these notes here about like Quirrell's background. Yeah. Um, Hagrid notes in chapter five that Quirrell had taken a year off um, to like go out and get some firsthand experience, which is when he met vampires in the Black Forest. And of course, you know, Voldemort, we later learn. <laughs> um, but I always interpreted that as like he was an academic who didn't have any like applied experience. So he went out to the real world to get that. And because of his experience with quote unquote vampires, he was then qualified to teach defense against the dark arts. Uh, that That's how I always thought about it. But I, I don't know that there's anything in the canon to actually support it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, except Hagrid calling him a brilliant mind. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's worth mentioning, uh, it's been confirmed that by J.K. Rowling that Quirrell was a Ravenclaw student. Mm-hmm. So how unique is it that we have a bad guy who's not a Slytherin for once? J.K. Rowling was setting us up to think that all houses would have bad people. And then she kind of forgets that by book two. Although I guess Gilderoy was also a Ravenclaw, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Lockhart? Yeah. No, she's, and she's really hating on Ravenclaws here. Well, she does a good job of showing that there are weak-willed people in all houses, right? Because we get mm-hmm. Quarrel, we get Hepzibah Smith, who's a Hufflepuff, mm-hmm. right? Like, she was very weak when it came to Voldemort. Then, of course, like, Pettigrew, who's a Gryffindor. Yeah. So you get to see examples of weak-willed people when it comes to Voldemort from all houses, that's a really Which good Which is point. pretty good. Nobody's um, perfect. Correct. Except you. <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> so Eric, you also you also have some really interesting Pottermore info on Quirrell here. I was hoping you could share. Yeah, this is the coolest thing about, you know, when we were doing our chapter by chapter of book one in 2006, Pottermore was not a thing. And J.K. Rowling wrote uh, this. One of the few pieces she actually wrote for that site was this delightful kind of backstory on or not backstory, but overview of Professor Quirrell, 
And I recommend reading it. We'll put it in the show notes, but here's two blips uh, that I thought were valuable. She talks about his character, which we're analyzing. She says, I saw Quirrell as a gifted but delicate boy who would probably have been teased for his timidity and nerves during his school life. Feeling inadequate and wishing to prove himself, he developed an initially theoretical interest in the dark arts. Like many people who feel themselves to be insignificant, even laughable, Quirrell had a latent desire to make the world sit up and notice him. Mm. So right there, we're seeing sort of an ambition inside Quirrell and a studiousness that allows him to kind of pursue. And, and we end up we, we know he ends up locating Voldemort. I mean, I, I don't know that he's the only one looking for Voldemort, but he's the one who finds him. And I think that speaks to Quirrell's prowess, really, as a I don't know what you'd call it, a scholar or somebody who's who's apt to to looking in the places where nobody else is looking. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And he's he's ultimately, as I said, though, weak willed. Right. Because yes. he he talks to Harry about how before he met Voldemort, he had all of these ideas about good versus evil and that Voldemort was the one who showed him that there is no good and evil. There's only power and those too weak to seek it. Yeah. Great quote. That quote was later taken out of context for Laura Mallory and all those people who were Ugh. against because they, they there was no nuance there where it's like, well, a villain says that. So, of course, it's not an edict of the book. It's not what J.K. Rowling believes because the villain is saying it. Yeah, but that would require those people to actually read. Yeah, I know. That's which is too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, on Pottermore, J.K. Rowling says a much stronger willed Voldemort like Quirrell. Didn't know what hit him. And I would encourage everybody to go and read that. But the interesting thing uh, that she also says, because this is post book seven that J.K. Rowling is writing this, she says, Quirrell is, in effect, turned into a temporary Horcrux by Voldemort. Mm -hmm. He is greatly depleted by the physical strain of fighting the far stronger evil soul inside him. Quirrell's body manifests burns and blisters during his fight with Harry due to the protective power Harry's mother left him in his skin when she died for him. When the body Voldemort and Quirrell are sharing is horribly burned by contact with Harry, the former flees just in time to save himself, leaving the damaged and enfeebled Quirrell to collapse and die. So... For a brief period of time, there's a ninth Horcrux, or or the the Horcrux that is a container of a soul. The part of Voldemort's soul that used to have his body is now having Quirrell's body. Kind of interesting. Yeah, and what's so interesting about this is, you know, we don't know this at the time as readers, but um, when Harry's asking Quirrell, he's like, "You mean he? You mean he? Voldemort was there in the classroom with you?" And Quirrell says. He is with me wherever I go. And little does Harry know that the same is true for him. (gasps) Right? And it's so interesting because in this case, Voldemort very willingly turned Quirrell into this like temporary Horcrux. Whereas with Harry, it was completely unintentional. Yeah. Yeah. And and that part of Harry is sort of dormant, whereas Mm -hmm. the part of Voldemort and Quirrell gives him orders and essentially sees out the back of his head for a year. Right. Yeah. Very terrifying. So definitely, you know, Pottermore on Quirrell. I thought, I remember thinking whether or not Quirrell would come back in the later books because it's, it, it the, really the book does not conclusively say if he dies or not. It, the book is more concerned over whether Nicholas and Paranel Flamel will die than the guy that 
Harry essentially murdered uh, in the, you know, but in the chapter. They're just, he he's chilling out with the basilisk. <laughs> Yo, Quirrell. <laughs> Corpse. Yeah, no, I actually, something came to mind when you were talking about Voldemort being a part of Quirrell. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, did he always wear the turban? I was mm. wondering that too. I'm thinking no, but that's why that story had come out that he found vampires or hags in Albania, because then he allowed the rumors to propagate that there was like garlic inside the turban. Yeah, um, I seem to recall early on in the book when we see Quirrell at Hogwarts that there was some comment made about the turban being new. Mm. Yeah, like he was known, but his like to other wizards, but his turban was not. Because mm-hmm. you to Andrew's point of Hogwarts being a security nightmare. <laughs> if you're the headmaster, <laughs> when did I bring that up? Of the school, and all of a sudden one of your teachers comes back to Hogwarts after a summer, and they have this thing on. It could have been on any part of the body that was visible, but he's wearing this turban. And weird stuff starts to happen at your school. I don't know. Like, maybe you should investigate. Maybe Dumbledore isn't prejudiced against turban wearing people. I, well, and I was going to have anything. You... To, uh, that's not <laughs> what this is about. Yeah. yeah. Do you think from this book onward, people were immediately suspicious of anyone wearing a turban, like who hadn't before, because they could be the new host of Voldemort. I don't know. I mean, the wizarding world is so eccentric that I don't know that something like this would immediately jump out as like a cause for concern. Mm. A startling fashion choice by one of his. But but even after Quirrell, even after what was going on with Quirrell, I feel like you would start wondering. Yeah. Like, where is Voldemort hiding now? How widely publicized was this, though? Mm. Yeah. Like, I don't think that we ever saw any kind of daily profit reporting on, you know, Lord Voldemort is back and manifests himself on the back of a Hogwarts professor's head. I mean, that's a pretty scandalous headline. I would print that on the front page. <laughs> yeah, but I, mean, the, <laughs> but I mean, like the, the ministry doesn't even accept that Voldemort is back until the right. end of book five. So mm, true. I yeah. don't think that this yeah. is public knowledge. And- Eric is not trying to make it a, a religious thing at all. Hmm. Um, I'm just saying that it just happened to be that that was what was written by J.K. Rowling. And actually, I would be interested if J.K. Rowling would have taken a different approach to writing because we know this book was published in 1997 um, prior to 9-11. I'm curious to see if she would have received a lot more backlash if the book had been written post 9-11 yeah i mean as it stands a turban is just a great way to conceal the fact you've got a second face uh and it's protruding out of the back of your head i mean it could have been a a a cowboy hat or uh you know i I don't don't really know how else to yeah i don't i don't think that it it was intended to be reminiscent of any kind of religious headwear that we associate with because like i feel like the way it's described because, Micah, you, you mentioned like 9-11. The way that the turban is described and the way that it's portrayed in the film is not something like germane to Islam, no, for example, right? right? Yeah, and, and the actor is not an Islamic actor. Um, right. Yeah. Um, I, I think that it was just 
kind of a convenient and I don't know, Quirrell, he, he seemed always pretty quirky, like quirky Quirrell. Quirky, so I, I, I don't I feel like when he came back, people were probably just sort of accepting like, yeah, this is a weird dude. He just spent like a whole bunch of time in Eastern Europe with vampires. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> and know? I mean, it, it's worth noting, like with with Lockhart, too, in book two, like the other teachers, like they may have their concerns, but they mostly just let Dumbledore let the teachers do whatever they want. Mm hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, sort of finishing up a little bit of analysis on Quirrell's character before we hop into the rest of the chapter. Uh, we also have some notes here about his special gift with trolls. <laughs> Yeah, which is, is it yeah. is so bizarre right it's like this one-off thing and we never really hear anything about it again he's like yeah. a trollologist like newt's a like, magizoologist he's a trollologist he's like a, right exactly <laughs> i could use him in wizards unite actually <laughs> but i i just i found that line is just you know knowing that he is a ravenclaw just kind of like it's almost like he's being like he's bragging a bit. He's like, yeah, you know, like I got a special gift with trolls. I know how to control them. I know what to do with them. Mm -hmm. Like, look at me. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how I looked at that. Yeah. And, and many of us are fascinated with particular types of creatures. Let's say we all have our favorite animals and maybe for Quirrell, his favorite beast was a troll. He loves the size. <laughs> ah, yeah. Just the way you can smell them coming like a mile away. Just me. It, it not, would not be my first choice of uh I wonder if he developed this gift while he was on his like real world adventures there. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, we really we we are led to believe that he doesn't get that much real world experience and exposure until he takes that year off. So I'm wondering if that's also when he developed his relationship with trolls. Hmm. Yeah. And it does say uh, to connect it back to Pottermore real quick that as soon as Voldemort learned that Quirrell had a teaching post at Hogwarts, he immediately kind of came after him. Mm -hmm. So he, he strategically knew that that was where he needed to be. So it's just what shocks me the most learning about the circumstances around Quirrell and Voldemort this entire year is that Voldemort was in body at Hogwarts all year. Like, did he check up on the diadem? Did he like what what level of um, consciousness and awareness did Voldemort have the entire year? He was back at Hogwarts. Did he open the Chamber of Secrets? Go check out. Say hi to the Basilisk. Like, yeah, he was there an entire year under Dumbledore's nose. And that more than anything else surprises me that there weren't somehow spells or alarms that got set off when something so evil was so close. Is it that he wasn't powerful enough yet? Because I'm thinking mm, about, for example, yeah. we see Ginny Weasley like lose huge like patches of time in Chamber of Secrets, which yeah. leads me to believe that, yeah, he probably was checking up in the Room of Requirement. He probably was revisiting his old haunts and Quirrell might not have even been conscious when those things were happening. Yeah. Well, in this chapter, Voldemort says Quirrell drank unicorn blood for him. Mm -hmm. Um. So maybe it, that's a heck of a thing to allow your follower to remember, right? Like drinking, a, like it wasn't just Voldemort took over and then did the drinking. Um, it's kind of weird, the symbiotic relationship, but I'm glad you brought up Ginny Weasley in book two, because it is a little bit of a difference. They're both technically kind of Horcrux actions, uh, according to J.K. Rowling. 
but in the diary, it kind of saps Ginny's power and tries to create its own self. Mm-hmm. Like young Tom Riddle will probably be full bodied. It wouldn't be the same thing as a Voldemort growing out the back of Ginny's uh, redhead, right? Um, like, which is which is sort of weird and different. Mm-hmm. Redhead specifically. Yeah. yeah her red and her ginger i was thinking her long ginger hair i'm writing fanfic so i'm like oh her long ginger <laughs> it's all about the details but yeah, yeah, yeah i mean for these for these first couple of books voldemort's attempt at coming back is to try and sap energy from a host right in Quirrell's mm-hmm. case it's like physical in Ginny's case it's spiritual um and i think after he realizes that that that's not really going to work for him is when he starts planning uh his eventual return for goblet of fire in which he actually obtains his own body yeah i'm with you laura i think the fact that voldemort was so weak at that point that he was just undetectable in the school Mm -hmm. but it is extremely disturbing that he is in the school However, well, weak it he goes may be. back to your point that Hogwarts is a security nightmare. <laughs> you know, it is really I'm glad you bring that up. It is really <laughs> a security nightmare. <laughs> yep. Don't they? Well, shouldn't they have a Voldemort detector at the school? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Um, Filch has that dark detector, right? Or or that, wait, that's in Wizards Unite. What does he have that thing that he waves over in like Half-Blood Prince? In one of the books, he has something that he's waving over students to make sure they're not sneaking. Yeah, it's in Half-Blood Prince. Yeah, when yeah. they're arriving at the school. But then... Right, exactly. It... He needs something... They need something like that, but to detect a... Right. Do we think a... that Snape's dark mark bothered him at all with Quirrell in the school? Oh, that's such a good question mm-hmm. and plot hole, kind of. It does make me wonder if there's ever any small mention, and I wouldn't be surprised, of like Snape grabbing his forearm or something. Mm. Yeah, I mean, his shin gets bitten by Fluffy, and he's holding that a bit. But, but let's say that hap- that happens. What would go through Snape's mind? Oh, maybe because I'm feeling it because Harry got hit by Voldemort when he was a baby, and now he's here. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it does. It is worth pointing out that Harry doesn't feel the pain in his scar unless Quirrell actually physically touches him. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's kind of twinging a little bit before they make physical contact. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if Snape would have needed to be in closer proximity to Quirrell in order to feel it, which could explain why Snape is sort of trailing Quirrell the whole year. That could be part of it. Mm-hmm. Like he right. could have a sense of it. We know they get close in the Forbidden Forest with each other. So mm-hmm. Is it odd that Voldemort, as far as we know, never reveals himself to Snape, who's supposed to be his most loyal subject? Yeah. I mean, this is covered in the Spinner's End chapter, just how Voldemort did not feel that he could trust Snape. Um, ultimately Snape is able to convince him that in their interactions between Quirrell and Snape, that Snape simply thought because Voldemort hadn't revealed himself to him, that Quirrell was just in it for himself and one of the stone Mm -hmm. firms. It's like perfectly explained, wrapped up in a neat little bow, but I absolutely would like to be on a, uh, like a fly on the wall and have insight into what Voldemort was thinking when Snape was confronting Quirrell. Well, kind of looking ahead to the rest of the chapter, something that's super interesting about this, as I was reading it, 
I felt like this entire chapter was just a connecting the threads <laughs> conversation <laughs> waiting to happen. Because I was going through and I was like, oh, we can just like sort of like touch like have touch points throughout the chapter of things that happen, but everything that I hit, I was like, oh my God, this is a parallel to book seven, uh, to the end of book seven. So I figure we could just like go over each of those things in chunks. Um, but then there are also some like nice little um, hints at other plot elements that are to come that we'll touch on as well. So the first one I wanted to talk about in connecting the threads is Snape saving Harry. So in Sorcerer's Stone chapter 17, Quirrell tells Harry, I'd have managed to knock you off your broom before then if Snape hadn't been muttering a counter curse trying to save you. To which Harry responds, Snape was trying to save me? And then he proceeds to spend like the next seven books still thinking Snape wants to kill him. Snape is the worst. He's bad. Well, and that's what I was getting at last episode. Should the debate over Snape being good or bad have ended right here? I mean, why would Snape have tried to protect him otherwise? To string him along? This is, I blame Dumbledore. I blame Dumbledore because Dumbledore really, in order to conceal to Harry the secrets of the the marauder's true backstory he just tells harry that you know snape saved or that james saved snape's life and the debt has now been repaid dumbledore is very much not counting on snape to continue to you know kind of do questionable activities right in front of harry um you know so i think he thinks the lie is gonna work or revealing a little bit of information here is gonna keep Harry satisfied, but it doesn't. We know it doesn't work. Well, an interesting tie to this is in Deathly Hallows chapter 33, in which we're seeing all of Snape's memories right after he has died. Uh, We see a memory from Harry's first year at Hogwarts in which Snape and Dumbledore are talking. Snape's complaining about how Harry's arrogant, how much he dislikes him. And Dumbledore says, You see what you expect to see Severus. Personally, I find him an engaging child. Then it says Dumbledore turned a page and said, without looking up, keep an eye on Quirrell, won't you? (laughs) Now, do we we think that Dumbledore suspected Quirrell or do we think that Dumbledore merely suggested this because he knows about the curse on the position? Hmm. I think the latter. That's a good question. I think he knows that eventually Quirrell is not going to be at the school anymore. So he wants to make sure that, and who knows the timing of this conversation in year one? Mm-hmm. Like, has yeah, stuff already like, started well, to happen that would yeah. make Dumbledore suspicious potentially of Quirrell? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I would expect that this conversation would have happened near the beginning of the school year because earlier on, Snape is complaining about Harry. And to me, that indicates that he's just had his sort of first interactions with Harry in potions class. Yeah. Because he's calling him like lazy and arrogant. He's just like his father. Right. Right. And the connecting the thread piece about Snape saving Harry, we know that he does what he does in this this book by preventing him from falling off his broom. But- Mm-hmm. In Deathly Hallows, he sends his Patronus with the Sword of Gryffindor to destroy yeah. the uh, Locket Horcrux. So again, in a way, he is saving Harry in both books. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, nice. I think, too, if it had been 
it's what just occurred to me was that this curse on the defense against the dark arts position, Andrew's question, like, would he know because of, uh, would, would he know because of knowing that Quirrell's not going to be in the position for very long? Seeing as how it was Voldemort that put that curse on the position, if Quirrell needed to remain at Hogwarts another year, I think Voldemort would have made that possible, would have lifted his own, you know, curse. I don't know that it was a conscious curse on Voldemort's part, but if for some reason the stone wasn't accessible until the following school year, maybe Quirrell Mort would have gotten to stay on. So what do you think? Tom was just walking out of the school one day and he's like, curse this position. And that's how it happened. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) there's not a, I don't, I really doubt there's a specific incantation you can utter for that curse because it, we talked about this when it came up in the Hapla Prince, but there is a massive amount of variables that has to go into a, like nobody at all can occupy that position for longer than one full term. Mm -hmm. And it's just the 15 or 27, we did like the math, but like the 20 odd people who encounter that all have like different circumstances surrounding their departure. Who, if you're another member of the staff, you have to be saying to yourself, what is going on here? And if you're a parent that has your kid, why is the teacher changing every year? You know, my student, or sorry, my child cannot get consistent education from a good professor (laughs) because every year something's happening. They're being attached onto by dark wizards. They're, you know, losing their memory and ending up in St. Mungo's. They're turning into werewolves. They're being impostered by Death Eaters. You know, think of all this. I, I want J.K. Rowling to write. A, a history of the defense against the dark arts position leading up to Quirrell taking over the role. Yeah. I mean, by, the, by the time he gets to Lockhart, he has very no choice. He And Lupin, it was even a last choice. And Moody was the same way. People are starting to catch on that this is not just a, a cute, you know, quizzical affectation of Hogwarts here. Right. And I also have a feeling that Probably before Harry was introduced to Hogwarts, probably a lot of the reasons that people left the position were pretty mundane. I think that the introduction of Harry into this world is what brings a lot of the darker outcomes to, to people losing out on that position at the end of the year, because obviously Harry is drawing Voldemort back into the fold kind yeah. of right because he's somewhere where Voldemort he he knows a lot about the castle he's able to infiltrate it really easily so of course you're gonna see a lot of dark intentions surrounding the fact that hey we can trade out the defense against the dark arts position every year that is our way in yeah but looking back at the chapter We see that Harry really has to rely on an intuition that's actually pretty mature for his age, right? Definitely. Mm -hmm. And he has this instinct uh, when Quirrell is monologuing um, to basically keep him talking. He realizes that the longer he keeps Quirrell talking, the longer it'll take um, for him to get the stone. And that's really it's Harry doesn't have many powers or many abilities, but he sort of has this intuition to stall and it works. I mean, eventually we find out that Dumbledore comes just in time to pull Harry off of Quirrell's body or Quirrell off of Harry's body and that Harry did very nearly die. And it's all because Harry stalled 
you know, the same the same events could have happened uh, five minutes earlier and Harry would have died. So we see this a lot from Harry because even through most of the book series, he doesn't have a lot of magical talent or skill. Um, he relies on his intuition to survive and Expelliarmus quite a lot. <laughs> and so it's just kind of good that J.K. Rowling wrote way back in book one that there seems to be whenever Harry's in real, sh- real shit, uh, real heavy shit, he always gets this little voice in him that tells him what to do. And it tends to really work out in his favor. Yeah. Well, and I mean, Hermione notes this uh, during the potion challenge, right? In the mm-hmm. previous chapter, that book smarts aren't everything. Mm-hmm. Right. And it really is Harry's intuition that carries him through all of these encounters with Voldemort. Mm-hmm. What else could Harry have done in this moment, though, other than stall? Like that was basically back against the wall. Nothing you not there's nothing else he could do. He could try to fight Quirrell, but he probably feels like he could lose. You know, yeah, absolutely. He's also tied up at this point, too. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Ropes. And, and I mean, that's that's kind of what what shocks me. And I want to ask you guys this. Does it seem realistic that Harry escapes this? It's a grown man against an 11 year old boy. And do we have any? I think the specific set of circumstances, it's like a mark of the writing that I think it does clearly indicate why we get the why Harry survived mm-hmm. out of all. Of this. Yeah. I, I totally forgot that it was Dumbledore showing up to actually save the day because in the movie, Harry defeats Quirrell slash Voldemort and we see Quirrell die right. and mm-hmm. Voldemort, his essence escapes out of the chamber that they're in and then Harry wakes up in the hospital. But mm-hmm. we're told in this chapter that Dumbledore actually saves Harry, essentially. Yeah, mm-hmm. he pulls Quirrell off of him. I wonder if they had any words between one another. Do you guys prefer the book version or the movie version? I guess the the book version is perf- for, preferred for me because it's a little more realistic, like an adult Same. coming in. We're just talking about an 11-year-old fighting yeah. him. It seems less likely. However, you know, his mother's protection, that is very powerful and more powerful than anything. And so I guess it is realistic <laughs> in this world of fiction to... For, for Harry to have the power to defeat Quirrell with his mother's love. As Eric likes to say, it works for the book and it works for the movie. I'm paraphrasing, but don't don't you have that line like what works for That's the book works point, for Eric. the book, what works for the movie works for the movie and I don't know that I've heard myself say that before, but I, I agree with it completely. <laughs> you definitely you've definitely just... said it before. Um yeah, okay. Well, I, I you know, and I and I I do like the movie version. But let's also talk about what Dumbledore has done by putting Harry in the situation in the first place. It's extremely dangerous. Like, oh yeah, I got to London and then I realized I probably should go back. <laughs> well, well, because he realized he was fooled into leaving the school in the first place, right? Yeah. I don't think that that's, you know, can we fault Dumbledore for that? I, they they he, figured out a good way to get him out of the school. They came up with some good fake letter mm. Something and come on, Dumbledore. Do we think he was actually fooled though? I we're going to touch on a couple of quotes later on in the discussion that kind of make me wonder if he was actually fooled into leaving. Don't really think that he was fooled at all 
to be honest he, with you. But no. he did go to London. He didn't just sit up in his office, like, ticking away the hours going, he well, I wonder He spends the end if- of the chapter bragging about how smart he is because of what he did with the stone, yet he's <laughs> yeah. fooled by a simple letter that tells him to come to London? Come on. Maybe it was a letter from uh, Credence saying, hey, I'm doing well, but oh, I could boy. really use your help. You know, you just never know. Well, and so here's my question about... <laughs> about why I think that Dumbledore probably wasn't fooled here. So we learn later in the chapter why Harry was able to obtain the stone from the Mirror of Erised. So um, in this moment, Voldemort orders that Quirrell put Harry in front of the mirror to see what he sees. Harry lies and says, oh, I see myself, you know, I've won the Gryffindor, I've won the House Cup for Gryffindor, <laughs> um, you know, Dumbledore's giving it to me, et cetera, et cetera. What he's really seeing is himself like with the Sorcerer's Stone in his pocket, he winks at himself. And then all of a sudden, he feels the weight of the stone in his pocket. And this is because only somebody who wanted to find the stone but not use it could actually get the stone from the mirror. And that anybody who actually just wanted to use the stone would see themselves like drinking the elixir of life, but they wouldn't actually get it. Now, my question is, who other than a child would have that reaction to the Sorcerer's Stone. A child, the concept of immortality to a child is probably, like, I at least think to my own childhood where, like, death was this um, weird concept because as a child, it's really hard to wrap your mind around, like, gone forever, right? Like, I remember being a child and a really close family of member of mine passed away and my parents were explaining death to me. I was like five years old and they explained that, you know, he had died and I was like, oh, well, when will he be back? You know, it's it's really hard for children to wrap their minds around that idea of immortality. So why would a child want to use the stone? So the only way a child could see the stone in the mirror is if they just wanted to find it, which makes me believe that Dumbledore knew that he needed a child's mentality in order to achieve that with a mirror. I love that. I think that's low-key brilliant. Um, But my question is, why wouldn't he just make the – why would he make that the trick of the mirror versus just making the stone forever protected by the mirror like it's actually puts harry at greater risk that harry figures out how to get the stone out of the mirror right but that's what makes me think this is all intentional and that dumbledore wasn't actually fooled yeah but Mm -hmm. i mean that the implications of that are terrifying because if he always meant harry to have the stone in his pocket then he always meant Quirrell to be able to get it Mm. hmm like you know, if Harry hadn't fooled the won the mirror, the stone still would have been protected beyond that last level of enchantment. You know, like we can't figure out Dumbledore's magic, then we're screwed. We're going to be here forever. Um, so kind of weird that he would let Harry get the stone at all. Well, there is something coming a little bit later in the chapter that maybe explains that a little bit, Eric, and we'll we'll get to that in a little okay, bit. I can't wait. Um, <laughs> so. This is another connecting the threads moment, and it's Harry's encounters with Dumbledore post Voldemort confrontation induced unconsciousness and delirium. <laughs> so, in Sorcerer's Stone chapter 17, um, Harry felt Quirrell's arm wrenched from his grasp. He knew all was lost and fell into blackness down, down, down. 
Something gold was glinting just above him. The snitch. He tried to catch it, but his arms were too heavy. He blinked. It wasn't the snitch at all. It was a pair of glasses. How strange. Harry stared at him and him being Dumbledore. Then he remembered, sir, the stone, it was Quirrell. He's got the stone, sir, quick. Calm yourself, dear boy. You are a little behind at the times. So we see Harry sort of like go into this uh, this unconsciousness during his encounter with Quirrell and Voldemort. And he wakes up and the first person that he encounters is Dumbledore. They're in uh, the hospital wing. It's very bright. Um, all of the linens and everything in there are white. And then we look at Deathly Hallows uh, at the end of chapter 34, beginning of chapter 35, after Harry has sacrificed himself in the Forbidden Forest. Uh, he saw the mouth, Voldemort's mouth, move and a flash of green light and everything was gone. Chapter 35 picks up saying he lay in a bright mist, though it was not like the mist he had ever experienced before. Harry raised his hand instinctively toward the lightning scar. It did not seem to be there. He tells Dumbledore, I should have died. I didn't defend myself. I meant to let him kill me. And that, said Dumbledore, will I think have made all the difference. So in this case, we also see Harry coming to this consciousness in this brightly lit, almost heaven-like area Mm. in a panic, right? And Dumbledore sort of assuaging that panic a little bit by explaining to him, hey, like pump the brakes Mm. a little bit. What you've done... Uh, is actually going to make the difference. And he's trying to catch Harry up. So I thought it was really interesting to see that Harry has these two moments in these two books on either end of the series in which he's like playing catch up while Dumbledore is in this sort of like godlike state. Wow. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think him. it also just comments on the relationship between Harry and Dumbledore and how Dumbledore is, mm-hmm. I hate to say to say the protector when he sets him up for so much trouble, but the protector, the father figure, the the calm voice at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and here's a little tidbit. I don't know where it would go, but I think it's worth noting in this chapter, Harry hears voices when he's passing out. Yes. Yeah. He hears his mother scream. He doesn't know it, but. But she says something like, Harry, or, 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 or it's like, come to me, Harry. I'm, I'm going to find it. But it's crazy because to me, it seemed a lot more priori incantatum memory shadow people mm-hmm. than it did seem like a historical event. And why would Harry's parents have anything to do with that particular moment necessarily otherwise? Interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm blown away, but I, I'm finding it in a moment. Well, while you look for that, um, I also wanted to bring up that this in this chapter is also where we get the first hints at the prophecy. Um, This is where Harry starts asking Dumbledore questions and Dumbledore uh, gives that very beautiful description of the truth as a beautiful and terrible thing and something that we have to be very careful with. And Harry asks Dumbledore, why would Voldemort want to kill me in the first place? And Dumbledore says, alas, the first thing you ask me, I cannot tell you. Not today, not now. You will know one day. Put it from your mind for now, Harry. When you're older, I know you will hate to hear this, but when you're ready, you will know. Something garbage. And this, yeah. And this, like, at the time you're reading it and you're thinking, oh, he means when you're ready, maturity-wise, you'll know. (laughs) But actually, it's you'll know when I'm setting you up for death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And but, it kind of goes to that that moment in Deathly Hallows where we see Dumbledore telling Snape he can't know until the absolute right moment mm-hmm. yeah. what he needs to do. But do you think an 11-year-old would have been able to process the prophecy at this right. point? Oh, no. Right. Absolutely not. And and we we wrongly assume that he can sometimes because he does come off as so accomplished and smart and you know able to handle that type of thing but yeah we have to constantly remind ourselves that he is an 11 year old 12 13 14 you know even towards the end of the series he is still very young yeah when he learns about the prophecy wise beyond his years but you know you you just got to remember that yeah it's just we get that, a... that's the quote that whole the truth is a terrible and powerful mm-hmm. thing and should be treated that's the quote of a manipulator of a master <laughs> of a person who has no intention uh who has, of telling you the truth who has every intention of lying to you right like right in your face um, but i do appreciate that dumbledore talks to harry like an adult yeah he does he never treats harry like a child yeah uh, absolutely i found the voices quote Harry jumped up to his feet, caught Quirrell by the arm, and hung on as tight as he could. Quirrell screamed and tried to throw Harry off. The pain in Harry's head was building. He couldn't see. He could only hear Quirrell's terrible shrieks and Voldemort's yells of kill him, kill him, and other voices. Maybe in Harry's own head, crying, Harry, Harry. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I, I don't know that Lily dying would have been like, Harry, Harry. Um, so, there's something weird going on there. Do we think it's could be Dumbledore even at that moment? Oh, possibly. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at another reference we get, we actually get a reference to the Invisibility Cloak, which is one of the Deathly Hallows. <gasps> and Dumbledore's eyes, quote, twinkle at its mention. I thought this was interesting <laughs> because he describes that, you know, James Potter used to use that to sneak down to the kitchens and and that was sort of the justification for Dumbledore uh being so happy <laughs> at its mention. Uh do we think that it's purely out of fondness for these memories or do we think that he still attaches a residual significance to the Hallows and to Grindelwald? I think it's both, but I would say more so the significance to the hollows and Grindelwald just yeah. memories. And I think it's also meaningful to see Harry now in possession of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, especially given the temptation in, in half blood Prince, when he comes across the resurrection stone, it, you would think that he still has some longing for that level of power. It may be subconscious, but mm. He's sitting there in that moment and he possesses two of the three Deathly Hallows. All he would need to do is call Harry into his office to grab the third. So I I almost wonder if he's giving away the invisibility cloak in Sorcerer's Stone to distance himself from Mm -hmm. one of the Hallows, knowing that he is in – because he's always in some way, shape or form, it seems like he always has two of the three, right? So mm-hmm. like for yeah. a period of time, he's had the Elder Wand and the Invisibility Cloak both in his possession. Yeah. Interesting. Well, looking at another connecting the threads moment between the end of Sorcerer's Stone and the end of Deathly Hallows is death is a choice. 
So looking at Sorcerer's Stone Chapter 17, where Dumbledore lets Harry know that the stone is going to be destroyed, which means that Nicholas and Perinel are accepting the fact they're going to die. And Harry is a little bit flummoxed by this, that they would choose to die. Dumbledore tells him, to one as young as you, I'm sure it seems incredible, but to Nicholas and Perinel, it really is like going to bed after a very, very long day. After all, to the well-organized mind, death is but the next great adventure. One of the most beloved quotes in the series. Yes, definitely. And then, this is, uh, it's so beautiful. In uh, chapter 35 of Deathly Hallows, King's Cross, Harry's talking to Dumbledore, and he has this moment of, of kind of clarity where he's like, well, I have to go back, right? And Dumbledore opens that choice up to him and lets him know that it's up to him whether he wants to go back or not. Harry's kind of surprised by this and asks him, well, I, I have a choice. And Dumbledore said, well, yes, we're in King's Cross, you say. I think that if you decided not to go back, you would be able to, let's say, board a train. And where would it take me? On, said Dumbledore simply. Mm. So what I love about this, this juxtaposition is in book one, we have Nicholas and Perinel who have made the conscious decision to die. And then we have Harry making the conscious decision to live mm. in Deathly Hallows. Mm. Wow. That's great. And what's so great about it, too, is they both come as the result of chats with Dumbledore. Um, so in Sorcerer's Stone, when he's describing this to Harry, he literally says, yeah, I had a little chat with Nicholas and we decided it was the best choice. <laughs> and very similarly, he has this little chat with Harry after which Harry decides going back is the best choice. Mm. Right. And that decision ultimately protects those that he's fighting alongside and mm -hmm. ends up allowing them to win the Battle of Hogwarts. Yeah, he ca he basically gives them the same protection his mother gave him. And it's also very beautiful, this quote from Sorcerer's Stone, because this is the best way to explain this to a child. It's like going to bed after a very long day. And then mm -hmm. you get to the very end of the series and you're having a similar discussion, but in a very adult way. You now get to pick yes. like, wow, just like you said, the, you know, just looking at these two next to each other, it just really shows where the series has traveled. Yeah. And it really does drive home that point about making right decisions versus easy decisions. Um, I think in the case of Nicholas and Paranel, it would have been easier. I mean, clearly they like being alive. They've been alive for so long. It would have been easier for them to try and find some other way to protect the stones so that they could continue living. Mm -hmm. But they made the hard choice to accept their death. Whereas for Harry, it would have been way easier for him to die because he's in this place where he feels no pain. He doesn't even have his scar. You know, he, he is at complete peace. Mm-hmm. And it would be totally understandable for him at this point to like nope out, <laughs> be like, deuces, I'm not doing this anymore. But he makes the hard choice and the right choice to go back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, moving on to another final connecting the threads moment here. Um, and it's a small one, but it's about James and Snape. So we touched on this earlier. Dumbledore communicated to Harry that uh, James had actually saved Snape's life. And later on, we learned that this is because Snape followed the Marauders to the Whomping Willow. And 
James ultimately rescued him because didn't he wasn't he about to be attacked by Lupin? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so James rescues him. And we actually see in Deathly Hallows chapter 33, uh, Snape's memory of Lily confronting him for being ungrateful about James saving his life huh. the other night. I'm going to reread a lot of these Snape's memories. These yes! all these really all have the like really cool connections here. Right? They all connect back to book 1. It's amazing. Mm. It's really like the movie didn't do it justice with the flashback. <laughs> shocker. Yeah. Shocker. Shocker. Well they they can't have known, could they? Like No. This this is the big problem with the movies coming out before the books were finished. Oh, uh, true. And this is what they're going to fix with Harry Potter, the TV show. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> so touching on the very end of this chapter, um, I did want to bring up that Hogwarts is indeed a security nightmare, as Andrew said. And Eric, this is the point that you were talking about earlier, whether or not Dumbledore's departure for London was intentional or not. Harry says to Ron and Hermione, I think Dumbledore sor- sort of wanted to give me a chance. I think he knows more or less everything that goes on here, you know. Hmm. And this is further supported by the fact that prior to Harry's confrontation with Quirrell, he gets the invisibility cloak back and it has the note on it that says, just in case. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot. They leave it up at the uh, astronomy tower when they're meeting Charlie. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. And how did Dumbledore find it if it was invisible? (laughs) I think we asked this last time. I think it's due to his familiarity with the the hallow, like Micah was saying. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Laura. Certain magic leaves traces. What? I also want to make you a producer of the Harry Potter TV show. I'm still thinking about it. You can just be solely in charge of connecting all the threads and making sure all the foreshadowing is there because people would love that. And you clearly love you know, monitoring all this and connecting them. So I there think you go. Dream think, job. Yeah, you can be the one <laughs> yeah. who you know how Please. every time a show starts up, it's previously on. That would be great for you, especially when we get to book seven. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh. <laughs> Ooh. Maybe we can start doing those for Mugglecast. Previously on Mugglecast. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to bring up this point about the end of term feast where Dumbledore's last minute action of adding 170 points to Gryffindor's house tally (laughs) has them beat Slytherin for the house cup by 10 freaking points after Slytherin is already locked in as the winning house. I'm sorry, but like that is blatant favoritism. It really is. (laughs) Yeah, but it's deserved. They just brought down Voldemort. I mean, come on. Gryffindor house. Not Gry- Gryffindor didn't bring down Voldemort. Harry did. The people in Gryffindor and Harry deserves a win at the end of this year. He deserves some recognition for his efforts. And what better way than to, uh, you know, have his house win the House Cup? I, I think just it's completely like, deserved. I feel like there is a clear like beginning and end date for tallying house points, right? And once a winner has been decided before this end of year feast... It's locked in. You can't add any more house points. It's cheating. The banners, the banners have already been yeah. decked out. And Slytherin and Slytherin doesn't have feats of strength that they can like compete in now, last minute to like regain their title. It's it's said and done. Mm. It's final. 
Well, I do feel bad for the Slytherin kids, not Draco, but everybody else I feel bad for <laughs> because it must have felt like a punch yeah. punch to the gut. But this is a feel-good moment for the reader. Of course. It's a great moment in the movie, too. But where's the 100 points for Snape saving Harry's life earlier in the book? Yeah. Uh, you don't award you... teachers. <laughs> teachers points. Yeah. But Come I don't on. Know. I'm just... So I'm thinking about this at, like, a real-world level, right? Kids can totally identify when there's favoritism happening. Mm-hmm. And it contributes to a lot of problems later on in life. Like maybe all of these Slytherin children watching the headmaster who himself is a Gryffindor stealing their win away from them at the end of the year. These people are not going to grow up to admire this person, right? If you're trying to turn the <laughs> legacy of Slytherin House around, this is not how you do it. He's he just he created uh, Dumbledore created like 150 enemies uh, that that day in 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 one fell swoop. You know, um, I, I think that this is all valid discourse. I also did the math um, and the original points. See what what this tells you about Hogwarts. The original points are 312, 352, 426, and 472. And they end in 2 or 6, which is all divisible by 2. So I'm going to say the average points you'd get for doing something is 2 points or 12 points. Because all these 2s everywhere. It ends in 2. So I'm thinking for, for, for Dumbledore to give 50 points, they spent their whole year, mm. every day of the school year. Let's say there's 180 days. I don't know how many days there really are. And each house only ended up with something in the 300s or 400s. The fact that Dumbledore awards 170 bonus points is ridiculous because that's like eight months work. Okay, it, but we know why he awarded that many points is to get them ahead of Slytherin. That's exactly it. So it only proves that it's favoritism because if we're talking, I mean, 50 points, you you, you never... I, you, I think it's completely justified. Y'all are crazy. Shenanigans. Andrew, as a proud Slytherin, I'm surprised at you. Yeah. Well, like I said, it... It would suck for Slytherin students, but I think mm-hmm. it's a it's a justified well, and look, award. How many years in a row had Slytherin won the House Cup? Six. This was going to be their magically number seven. Would you guys have rather J.K. Rowling set up the book earlier to award Gryffindor no, the look. House Cup or Slytherin wins it at the end of the year? I mean, Slytherin can't win the House Cup at the end of the year after what just happened. <laughs> I would have been fine with 50 50 50 50 so 200 points but it's the way that dumbledore goes about it to the point that eric made and laura made favoritism that they win by 10 points thanks to neville yeah (laughs) i wish it was just by one point just to annoy you guys even more no but so here's the thing though it it's so blatant because the slytherin banners are already up and dumbledore like waves his wand and takes them down and puts up the gryffindor ones like if you wanted to do this you should have done it before everybody was seated thinking that they were going to win. And then you like snatch their victory away from them. Like that's there so is something rude. very cruel. Yeah. <laughs> well, it sucks to be Slytherin. Example number 5,000. <laughs> uh, and, and going back to a more serious note, and this is another kind of connecting the threads. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone slash Philosopher's Stone ends at King's Cross Station, as does Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Beautiful. Lovely. Beautiful. And worth noting, I think we mentioned this on a a prior episode, connecting movie one and movie eight, the actor 
who portrays Albus Severus in the epilogue is actually the baby from Sorcerer's Stone. Oh, is that true? Really? No, no way. It is true. We can look it up, but Micah, I'm pretty did sure. did you make that up? I'm Googling it. <laughs> Are you sure, sure this wasn't some fake news? No, it's 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 false, Micah. Sorry, you you read some fake news. Somewhere. I tried to throw one in there. <laughs> uh, Buzzfeed literally I, uh, wrote an article on Micah's fake news. No, baby Harry Potter from the first film didn't play Albus Severus Potter in Deathly Hallows Part Two. That'd have been great, though. Yeah, that was a missed opportunity. <laughs> Although maybe that baby can't act. I mean, maybe it grew yeah, up and just didn't yeah. have the talent. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the baby ended up hating Harry Potter, read the books and was like, I had a role in that. Ew. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So I have to step out of the episode. I have to go to a wedding. But um, Laura, I just want to say great job today. Oh, thank you. You and only. Yeah. Great job. No, everybody was part of it. (laughs) Yeah. No, you're right. It was a great discussion. And sorry, I have to leave early. Um, You guys can do a voice for me when you're reading my MVP of the week and rename the chapter. Okay, That'll be fun. So you got an urgent letter to London, right? You gotta <laughs> yeah, go. I got to go. Nothing's going to happen while I depart for London. <laughs> I got the mark on my knee, so I'm ready to travel around London. So I'll head out. <laughs> All right. Bye, everyone. All right. Bye, Andrew. Bye. All right. Well, we just talked about connecting a lot of threads, and now I'm going to share some information from one of our sponsors about a different kind of thread. Third Love is... <laughs> Third Love is the company that is making the most comfortable bras out there. Third Love uses data points generated by millions of women who have taken their Fit Finder quiz to design bras with breast size and shape in mind for a perfect fit and premium feel. How do they guarantee fit? With their Fit Finder quiz, all you have to do is answer a few simple questions to find your perfect fit in just 60 seconds. It's actually fun to take this quiz. It's also important because breast shape matters when finding a good fit. And Third Love's Fit Finder quiz helps you determine that. Then they'll use that information to find styles that fit your body. Plus, every customer has 60 days to wear it, wash it, and put it to the test. If you don't love it, return it and Third Love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. I personally own five of the 24-7 Perfect Coverage bras and two of the Seamless Lounge bras, and these are must-have staples. These bras have lightweight, super-thin memory foam cups that mold to your shape and are proprietary to 3rd Love. 3rd Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering listeners of MuggleCast 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com MuggleCast now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com MuggleCast for 15% off today. All right. All right. It was a thread. <laughs> Maybe some wire. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. <laughs> so one of the segments that we actually did when we did chapter by chapter over a decade ago was notable chapter quotes. And I think we actually pulled our own favorite quotes from the chapter. Oh, wow. Many of these have already been touched upon, but I just wanted to make mention of the fact that this particular chapter of Sorcerer's Stones has a ton of notable quotes. Um, so Laura, I think you mentioned this one earlier from Quirrell when he says, there is no good and evil, only power in those too weak to seek it. Mm-hmm. Laura Mallory's favorite. Yes. Another Laura's favorite quote, actually. Yeah, very different Laura. 
Yeah. Actually, for those of you who don't know who Laura Mallory is, just Google her and you'll get a sense. And we have like a whole bunch of really old episodes where we're not very... We call her. We did try to call her. <laughs> did we get a voice? Yeah, she didn't I pick up. I'm happened. pretty sure we did. No, she definitely did not pick up. <laughs> um, and then the rest of these are Dumbledore quotes. After all, to the well-organized mind, death is but the next great adventure when talking about the flamels with Harry. And then a quote that actually Hermione says in the movie, and I think probably one of the more notable Hermione movie quotes, but Dumbledore is the one who says it in Sorcerer's Stone uh, when he's talking with Harry. We didn't really talk about this much in the chapter, but talking about fear of the name increases fear of the thing itself. And it happens uh, when they're talking about Voldemort, obviously, and Harry actually has a moment not long thereafter when he's talking with Hagrid, and he really kind of takes what Dumbledore is saying to him uh, to heart, and and because the name obviously bothers Harry, uh, bothers Hagrid. Mm-hmm. And then the other quote, not as notable, but I think still is meaningful. The truth, it's a beautiful and terrible thing, and should therefore be treated with great caution. So we touched on a lot of these during the discussion. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised they gave Hermione Dumbledore's line. I'm in not. The movie. They did that with Hermione a lot. They yeah. gave a lot of other characters really good lines to her. They did it to Ron all the time. They took all of Ron's good lines and gave them to Hermione, oh, that's which true. made Ron come across as an idiot in the movies. And I'm still salty about it. <laughs> but now we can move on to MVP of the week. Who wants to do their Andrew voice? <laughs> oh, God. Pearl. Um... I don't know why I do. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there you go. Quarrel. For obvious reasons. Right. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I guess he is the MVP. He made it really, really, really close to the end. Laura, who was yours? I said Hermione's owl for (laughs) crossing Dumbledore in midair and having him be like, oh, silly me. I should go back. You think they did like a little high five? Little little, Little wing five? Little little wing five. Mm-hmm. I gave mine to Neville for getting those crucial 10 points, which pushed Gryffindor over the hump and won them the House Cup. It's a good point. And uh, I gave mine to Hagrid. We didn't touch on this, but the gift he gives Harry in the hospital wing, it's sort of a collaboration between Hagrid and Dumbledore. When Harry's in a coma for three days, <laughs> uh, he writes to all these people that knew Lillian James and asks them to part with their old photographs and comes up with this album, which I, I, you know, I just love this in the movie um, as well, because, but it just, even in the books, you know, it would, it would have more uh, significance and more people like that would show up in it. But the idea that all these people who had fond memories of Lillian James and photographs of them would contribute to this album that Hagrid was the big crowd sourcer of this. I just think it's, it's probably one of the best gifts anyone ever gives Harry, if not the best across yeah, all books. I agree. And Definitely. Harry even gets emotional when he receives it. I love right. that. It, I love that it opens the second movie. I really love that. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I'd be curious to know who some of these other friends are. <laughs> Aside from Lupin, we really yeah. wouldn't know of anybody else that Hagrid would be reaching out to. Exactly. Other members of the order? Maybe. 
Probably, yeah. But who? Yeah. it's not really a photographing group where they're like, okay, <laughs> pause for a selfie. Well, they, not they a, did have that one picture. I mean, I know. I'm just saying, you know, when you're when you're working undercover to defeat the Dark Lord, it's not like, okay, photo time. Let's all take selfies of it. You know, it's, but no, they did but... take a group photo. Remember, they did take one group <laughs> photo. Yeah, <laughs> they're like Order of the Phoenix, 1980 or 1979 or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think isn't it mentioned that they reached out to old school friends? So it doesn't necessarily have to be people who are in the order yeah, it could be people right. who shared the dormitory with any of them mm-hmm. or uh yeah yeah i i totally agree with that um clearly photography was in an upswing during the first wizarding world war though that's all i'll say there <laughs> all right and now we can move on to rename the chapter <laughs> so who wants to do andrews <laughs> harry potter and the sorcerer's stone <laughs> Um, Andrew went for the eponymous chapter title, which we found out on last week's Quizich or two weeks ago's Quizich was lacking from this book. This book did not have a chapter called Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. I'm thrilled that Harry, uh, that Andrew decided to bestow that upon this final chapter. I did Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, chapter 17, Love Wins. Aww. Because it, it does. Yeah. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Chapter 17. The Flamels are fucked. Screw you, Slytherin. <laughs> Do we, can we say the F word on the show? You, Eric, just bleep that out. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I like your chapter name. Oh, thank you. I, I wanted this for the episode title. We'll see. Um, we were talking about Quirrell and his unique talents. I really enjoyed our chapter discussion, by the way. We definitely should do more of book one this way. But mm-hmm. um, but uh, I went for Harry Potter and the Sorcerers slash Philosopher's Stone, Chapter 17, The Troll Whisperer. Um, nice. Quirrell done it, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> you think when Quirrell like, meets a troll, he's like, look at me. I am the captain now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wonder if he'd have been any help. I know it's technically different races, but if he had repented, if he could have helped Hagrid tame Grop, I know a troll is not a giant, but that was a thought I had during the earlier discussion. You know, maybe. Probably. I mean, he's clearly very clever. Yeah. Just not very brave. Yeah. That's why he's not a Gryffindor. Well, it's time for Quizich. Uh, for those of you who listened to last week's episode, we didn't actually ask a Quizich question. Uh, we asked you to submit your Quizich questions to us for use in future Quizich uh, games. And that's that's an invite that's open to everyone via our email, mugglecast at gmail.com. But for next week, we do have a Quizich question, and it is as follows. This is a, a really, really good one submitted to us by Meg S., and it is which film actor who appeared in movie one has the same birthday as the character he portrays. And this, this blew my mind when I looked it up and found out it was in fact true. There's a film actor who was born on the same day and month as the character that they play in Harry Potter movie one. Are they just in movie one? Uh, I'll, I don't want to narrow it down too much. I already uh, identified the gender. But um, and the year, I'll give another hint. The year is actually really close, too, which is crazy. So um, definitely uh, submit your uh, answers to us over on Twitter. Hashtag Quizich. 
And uh, we'll see how many of you clever sleuths can get this one. All right. So before we wrap things up, just wanted to remind everybody that we will be in Orlando just about a week from now, checking out Hagrid's Magical Creature Motorbike Adventure, as well as attending Podcast Movement. Eric, are you excited? I'm really super excited. It's going to be great. I'm going to share a bed with you again, buddy. It's going to be fun. <laughs> Didn't know we uh, figured that out yet, but uh, yeah, can't wait. <laughs> no, you said weeks ago, you're like, uh, you could take the floor. I was like, oh, okay. No. But uh, yeah, the hotel experience, the con experience. I mean, I always, I miss this. This reminds me of the old days. And uh, Laura, we're sorry you couldn't get off work to join us. Yeah, well, I also have actually right around this time a friend's bachelorette party. Oh. And it's it's the one that we're having at the Harry Potter themed Airbnb. <gasps> the one in Atlanta? Yeah. Oh, please take photos and video for Patreon. Oh, I definitely will. All right. Well, also want to remind our listeners that we'll be in the Orlando area, that we will be doing a meetup somewhere on city walk you can check our social media handles for that information that'll be taking place the evening of thursday excuse me the evening of thursday august the 15th lost day eight fifteen. everybody mm-hmm. <laughs> and speaking of social media you can follow us on facebook twitter and instagram at mugglecast have a lot of cool content that is going up on those channels on a regular basis. Thanks so much to our social media producer, Jewel, who does a great job every single day posting content. I'm always excited to see what's going up there. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, listeners can reach out to us in a number of different ways. You can uh, send us an email, mugglecast at gmail.com, or use the contact form on the website, mugglecast.com. You can also leave us a voicemail, just... Dial one nine two zero three Muggle. That's one nine two zero three six eight four four five three. And uh, if you're feeling generous, you can always uh, send something over to the PO box. That's MuggleCast four zero four four North Lincoln Avenue, box number one four four, Chicago, Illinois six zero six one eight. Or if you just want to send Eric letters, you don't have to, you know, necessarily send a gift. Just. <laughs> Regular post works. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that does it for episode 428. Look forward to seeing some of you in Orlando. And reminder that uh, we will be putting out an episode, but it will likely come out a little bit later in the week as we will be running around the um, podcast movement convention. Yeah, absolutely. And the Wizarding World. Thank you to everyone for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. See everyone next time for episode 429. Bye. Bye. Bye.